team. Can you give God thanks and praise for the, the freedom that we have in Christ? Can you give him thanks and praise for the freedom that we have in our country? Amen. Thank you, team. Richard Kidd tells the story of when he was in college, and he went to a Christian Almost immediately, he began to experience something that he had never experienced before in his life. It was the, a group of college students that kind of banded around him, and they would regularly pray together in their dorm room. They would share uh, intimate parts of their lives. They would support and encourage one another. And over just a short period of time, they bonded into this cohesive small group of brothers and sisters in Christ there on that college campus that became so meaningful in his life and in the lives of his friends. Well, on the first semester break, they all kind of went home to their, for the holidays and that kind of thing. And when they came back, they were struck by the terrible news that one of the young men in the group had had a tragic snow skiing accident in Maine, where he was from, and he was in critical uh, condition in a coma in a hospital back in Maine. Of course, they were, they were struck by this terrible news. They began to pray uh, consistently and just pray a lot for their, their friend, and, and they really didn't know what was going to happen. In just a short time, just a few days into that semester, they actually got a phone call from their friend John from his doctor. And the neurologist was telling them, hey, we want to ask for your help. We, we, we found out that John is in a group there of close friends. We want you to make a tape. We want you to make an audio recording uh, of all of the things that you and John used to do and, and the things that you guys normally do together because there's evidence that by him hearing those sounds, familiar voices and familiar stories that can actually help someone in his condition. Well, they were just glad there was something they could do, and so they did. They made a tape of his favorite songs. They told their corniest jokes that they used to always tell together and their stories and the things that they did. In the tape, they prayed and they wept for John as a group of friends, and they sent it out. Six days later, John woke up from his coma. And the neurologist was convinced because of the studies they've done and the, the tape that they played that that was a huge key in uh, the, the fellowship, the close community of hearing those voices and those people that were so close to him. That's really what brought him out of that coma. Well, the doctor even went so far as to tell them, you know, John will probably never walk again and certainly he won't be back at school but what they didn't know is the greatness of our God because John did begin to walk again. He actually got to the point where he was running 60 miles a week because he was a runner before that. And he went on to graduate from William and Mary College and he ultimately became a personal assistant to Alan Greenspan, if that name rings a bell to some of you. And it's all about the value and the power of us living in a close community of friends. That's really the point of it. Now, you know, there's a lot of benefits of, of doing that. I can't promise you that you'll run 60 miles a week if you're in a small group or a group of friends. You know, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ran 60 miles in my life, you know. But I will tell you that it will make your life better, your spiritual walk stronger, to, to find yourself surrounded by a group of caring people that know you 
deeply and care about you greatly. And that's really our topic for today is, is the value of living in that kind of a community. And to see that, we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 2. Now, that's where we were um, last week, so I want you to turn there with me. We're getting back to the basics in regards to our church life and our walk of faith. And God's Word shows us that a very big part of, of living for Christ is the close fellowship of a group of believers. You know, we have uh, here on our church uh, campus, uh, we have a group of ladies that meets every uh, Sunday morning at 945 right downstairs. They are so glad to be back to meeting as they were used to doing before. We have another group of uh, women that meet each Sunday evening from about uh, 6 to 8 p.m. each Sunday evening. We have a, a group, a large group in our church of folks that meet every... Right now they're meeting on Thursdays after from 2 to 4 out in our student center. Maybe it's 1 to 3. Anyway, they're meeting on Thursdays, and they're called Heaven Bound. They just changed their name to Heaven Bound. Now, that sounds like a quartet group, but there's more than four of them that meet out there. And we have a group that meets every Tuesday. And it's called Grief Share, and it's for those who are grieving the loss of a close loved one. And, and folks come together, and they find kind of what I was describing before, that kind of support and encouragement that we all need to get through the different times of life. We have uh, our family fellowship groups that are going to be meeting just in a couple of weeks on July the 18th. And, and in September, those are all going to become life groups. We're gonna, we, we want to start, right now we're set to start about a dozen life groups and in starting in September, and we're super excited about that, and we'll be talking more about that. But the point of it is, is what we, what we heard in that story and what we see in Scripture, the uh, believers that are banded together in a close way, in a meaningful way. And it's exactly what we read in the Holy Scriptures when it talks about the very first church of Jesus Christ. This is how it all began. And this is how it is to continue to look today. And we're going to look at that. Look at, let's begin reading in verse 41. And we'll read down through verse 47. This is a passage that should be familiar to all of us. So certainly it is worth reading this passage uh, today. It says here, Though, Then those who gladly received his word, were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So the church of Jesus Christ went from 120 to over 3,000 in one day. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. In verse 44, now all who believed were together. That's what we're talking about today. This is what we've all been lacking over the past year and so many months. We, we couldn't meet together in the beginning. And, and then there were concerns about being together in small groups inside classrooms and all of those kinds of things. So we're, we're talking about that we have to get back to this very basic essential of what it means to be a church. And that means to be together. And they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So this was a voluntary thing that they did to care for one another. 
So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now we did look at this passage last Sunday, and verse 42 is the key to the whole thing when it identifies for us two very foundational, basic aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they they simply are the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The first one is vertical, our relationship with God. The second one is horizontal, our relationship with our church family. We need both. Now, I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's message, but I would like to drill down on this one idea of fellowship. And the first goal of my message is that each of us would see the value and the benefits of living in fellowship with one another. And it tells us in verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, now what does that mean? They were added to them. They were saved, they became baptized, and then they were entered into the church. And really, one scholar said it this way, talking about the first century church. He said they were converted to Christ, and at the same time, they were converted to the church. They received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and at the very same moment, the very same day, they were receiving a church family now as their new family, their new tribe, their new peeps. And this was essential. This was necessary in their case for the very simple reason is that the moment that you received Christ, you were rejected by your family. You were rejected by the culture. You were ostracized in society. And and so you had to have some kind of a support network. And and the, the church became your family. And they met daily and from house to house just out of emotional and physical support. That's why it says that, uh, that um, in verse 45 that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, this was a, a voluntary thing. And the, the, the foundation of it, in their case, was persecution. Because they would lose their livelihood. They would, uh, their, businesses, their businesses would suddenly lose all of their clientele. Or they would be dismissed from their job. Or whatever. The, they would be uh, cast out of their home. So they would be almost immediately destitute. And so the church family was rallying around them. Caring for them. Helping them through this difficult time. And, and, and you know, don't... Um, you know, the early Christians on the, on the 4th of July, this is a good comment to make on verse 45. And, and many others have made this observation that the early Christians shared their possessions not because they were communists or socialists, but because, not because they were forced to share these things, but for a far better reason. They shared their goods because they were generous and they were caring. And they were generous because God had been generous to them, and their generosity was was a reflection of God's goodness and generosity in their lives. But really what I want you to see is the care, the power, the value of, of being surrounded by a caring group of people that care for you, if the case may be, physically, uh, whether it's physical ailment or 
or physical need that care for you emotionally because they lost their their support network of family and friends and so they were discouraged uh, they were they were in love with Christ but they were discouraged by the society and so there was a an emo- just caring and loving people that we all need that in our lives it's a human need it's a Christian need and then of course um, spiritual care they were praying together. They were reading God's word together. They were encouraging these new believers in their faith. And so they, were, uh, they had to encourage each other because they were the only ones that each other had. And so we see that. And this is, this is perhaps the circumstances are different. And I'm going to talk about the different circumstances, our context versus their context. But the essentials and the basics were exactly the same. This is what a church is to be. And this is what groups of brothers and sisters in Christ do. You know, I, uh, there's people in our church that on a weekly basis, and I, and I thank you, and I, and I appreciate you, and, and you are an inspiration and an encouragement to all of us because on a weekly basis, you're, you're helping meet people's needs. You're in people's homes, helping them with things that they can't do for themselves, or, or you're following up with people, or you're dropping off a meal at someone's house, or you're calling someone on the phone, and you're checking in with them because of what's going on in their life, and you're basically just loving people. People and ministering to people. I'll give you um, a tip. Okay, this is um, this is how the Holy Spirit works. Okay, the prompting work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in you, and the and we have this common bond of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, this is the tip: when someone comes to your mind, you know, a brother or a sister, they come to your mind. Take that as very possibly the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And what you should do in that moment is not just think a warm thought about them. Oh, that's a good start. But, but put steps of action into that warm thought. Take out your phone and text them. Just want you to know I'm thinking about you and praying for you. Text them a verse. Or another step, pick up, call them. Call them on the phone. And, and say, hey, how are you doing? I, I've just been thinking about you. I want to know how you are. I'm praying for you. I love you and the Lord. And just take put action to the because that's what a church family does. And that's what we need to do with what. And when you have uh, now, if you have one person doing that, that person's going to run themselves silly. Right. They're going to run in circles. No one person can sustain all of that. But if you have groups of people. And you know the people in your group and you know what's going on in their life. And you know when they need a phone call because you know them. You, what does the verse say? That you're together with them. You spend time together to, enough to where you know and, and you can call them and they're not going to think it's odd. And so you reach out to them and, and we have a whole church of people in these different groups doing that. My friends, that is a powerful, a valuable thing in all of our lives. I need that. I need to receive that. I need to express that. You need that. You need to receive that. You need to express that. It's exactly what we see. Now, I say exactly. I don't think they were using, they, they weren't texting, okay? <laughs> they weren't doing that. You know, they're, they're, they didn't have email. They had like, you know, stone tablet mail or something. They wrote on parchments, you know, and they sent it by carrier pigeon. I don't know, but you get the idea. They had their ways of expressing it. We have our ways of expressing it. We just need to do those kinds of things. 
in the, there's a town in England, in Somerset, England, where they discovered a potent cure for physical illness. Do you know what it is? Community, the very thing that I'm talking about. And they had a, they, they uh, put this to the test because they were noticing that uh, people who had been isolated and fell critically ill, if they were if they were connected with a community or a group, then their, their health went dramatically up. And, and doctors began to notice this. They had a dramatic fall in emergency hospital admissions be, uh, when, once they began this project. And the project was, um, really, it, it was community. They began to f- find these patients who were isolated and alone and developed illness, and then they, would, they had a program where they would connect them in some type of community in their town, whether it was a church community or some other type of supportive group. And when they did that, these patients all began to do so much better. And one doctor, this was his remark. He said, no other interventions on record have reduced emergency admissions across the population than this one. It was the most powerful medicine they had. It doesn't come in a bottle. It comes in a human heart. And and so they set up this study, and dozens of other studies have come to the very same conclusions. And, And I could cite some of them. I've read about some of them. And it's patients with strong social support have lower illnesses, have better outcomes in fighting serious diseases, and have lower death rates. They said that for middle-aged men, okay, and I'm listening. I'm all, when I saw the title, middle-aged men, like my, you know, my ears went up, right, because I'm a middle-aged man. I know some of you didn't realize I was that middle-aged. You know? People tell me all the time, Pastor Phil, you look like you're about 40. No, they don't tell me that all the time. You know, you guys all heard my joke, right? When I, uh, when I turned 56, I'm 56. When I turned 56, I said to my wife, honey, do I look 56? And she said, no, but you used to. <laughs> I'm a middle-aged man. And they said that one of the, uh, one of the main causes of death of middle-aged man, do you know what it is? Loneliness loneliness. It's a lack of community. So I'm talking to you today as a, not just a middle-aged man, because some of you aren't men and some of you aren't middle-aged. I'm talking to you today as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you today as a human being to see the value and the necessity and the importance of living in close community with a group of fellow believers, a group of fellow human beings. And it is so important. Now, if we look, go back to our text in the book of Acts, we see something uh, very dramatic. You know, the whole book of Acts is dramatic, right? I mean, there's all of these amazing things in this rapid growth of the church and and from 120 to 3,000. But then if you turn over a a couple of, uh, just a chapter or two in chapter 4, it says, but many of those who heard the message believed And the number of men came to be about 5,000. So two chapters later, more had believed. And many times in that society, they would only count half of the crowd. They would count one gender because 
and they were just duplicated. And they, that's how they would count large crowds. And they said 5,000, but that's only half. There were like 10,000. You throw in some children. You're talking about 15,000 people were added to the church. And then you keep, keep reading in chapter 5, and all the more believers uh, believed in the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number. And, and, um, and, and it says in verse uh, chapter 6, and the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. So we're just talking about one city. And scholars believe by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, there were a hundred thousand followers of Jesus Christ just in Jerusalem alone, a city that in that day only had a population of about 250,000. So this church swelled. But wait a minute. Where did they meet? They didn't have it. That was like the original megachurch. They had no building. They had no property. They met in the temple courts. They would gather in the temple, and they, they took over the courts. I mean, they, they couldn't, a third of their church couldn't meet in the temple courts at a time. And they, they were just dominating, right? Uh, Act, we read there in Acts 2. They were in the temple daily, and they were in house to house. In Acts 5, it says the same thing, daily in the temple and in every house. So they would gather in large groups in the temple courts, and then they would gather in smaller groups in houses. And they would gather there together. And they would, How do you make a, a church of 100,000? How is that even a church? It's really impossible if, you know, in a, you know we're kind of down today because the four, everybody's camping. Those sorry rascals, they didn't even invite me or you, right? They're out there by the lake somewhere or by the river canoeing, and, and we're stuck here, right, having church. <laughs> a, a congregation of 300 people. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's nice that we can know each other and know each other's names. I don't think you can be really close with 300 people. In, in my world, they, the numbers that they manage is that a, one pastor can effectively pastor about 90 people. And so that's why you need another pastor. And as the church grows, you need to add it. Because there's, all, it's, there's a limit to our human ability to connect with people, right? So 100,000 that was massive, and it was a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was amazing uh, for the gospel and for the church and the spread of the gospel. But wait a minute, living in close community, that was being accomplished house to house, right? I mean, that's just natural. That's just easy to understand how that had to be. And, and really, as you, as you go on and you think about this, uh, the church began to suffer intense persecution. And it was just a couple of decades in A.D. 70. When, you know, initially it was like the Roman, I'm sorry, the Jewish religious leaders. They were persecuting the Christians and they were arresting them and saying, don't speak any more in his name. And, and then they would let him go and they would immediately go back out to the temple courts and begin preaching in his name. And, and then it got more serious. And the, the religious Jewish leaders were stoning Christians. Do you remember when Stephen was martyred there in the book of Acts, right? But, but it still continued to grow. And so then it became even more intense, my friends, because then the Roman Empire began to persecute Christians. 
And in A.D. 70, the, Ro- uh, the, the Roman Empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They ran every, Jews, Jewish people and uh, the, the Christian Christ followers, they ran all of the people out of Jerusalem. They destroyed the entire city. They burned it to the ground. They toppled the temple, and they destroyed the temple courts, all of that. And all of those believers were scattered to the four winds. And there was intense persecution. How did they survive that? How did they, uh, they and they would gather in synagogues and other first century places, And they didn't even have buildings or properties. Archaeologists tell us that the oldest church that they have discovered to date is from A.D. 2030. It's located in northern Jordan, which borders today Israel. It's located in northern Jordan, and it is actually underground. It is a worship place of worship. It's an assembly area. It is literally underground because of the persecution that was going on. And while the Christians were being persecuted, they were literally finding their gathering places underground. They, 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 they only had each other. They had to lean on each other and find support because that's all they had. I don't know how many of you from church history, I'm going to pull something else from church history. Have you remember hearing about the catacombs, the Roman catacombs? In the Roman catacombs, the Romans had a super, they had a great fear of death. It was a superstitious fear of death where they would not even allow grave sites within the city walls of Rome. And they had to be buried out. And so they actually, they didn't want any uh, vestige. They didn't want any visible reminder of death. And they literally would build their cemeteries underground. And they, they, in the soft limestone in that area, there would be caves. And they would take these caves and they would dig them out until they were entire mazes of net, and networks of underground tunnels. And they would be able to build out niches in the, the soft limestone underground. And, um, and they wouldn't go down there. They would make slaves bury their dead because they had such a fear of death, they would not even go down there. And so when the Christians were being heavily persecuted, they found refuge in these catacombs. They would live and they would gather and they would meet underground. Many of the wealthy Christians in Rome, they would take their properties and they would build connecting tunnels on their property to these catacombs. Now, these were extensive. I mean, just to give you an idea, these catacombs would be two and three stories deep under the ground. There would be a, a level of mazes and tombs, and then underneath that would be, you would go down and there would be another entire level of mazes and tombs, and even another one under that. It was a, and the Christians were hiding underground, and they would, they would carve out uh, large rooms in the catacombs where they would gather and assemble for worship. And my friend, they, they gathered, to, they banded together because they were the only ones that each other had. They built close relationships. And, um, and, you, can, and you can go to the catacombs today. You can go to Rome and you can visit. They'll let you in some of the catacombs. There were like 40 of these networks of tunnels that were used by the Christians. I mean, they were hundreds and hundreds of feet long. And you go down there, and some of the very earliest primitive Christian art is on the walls of these catacombs. 
And there are epitaphs on the graves of Christians who were buried down there. And this was all that they had. And uh, they cared about each, each other because that's all the, that one another had. And they had to meet in secret in this way. You know, that's why the Bible says, when two or three are gathered, there I am. The Lord Jesus Christ said, when just two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, we, we think about um, our church today, right? And we were in a, a beautiful building, right? Anybody hot in here? Is anybody a little bit stuffy? Because I can just walk right over here and just lower the temperature one or two degrees just by pushing a button. Anybody? Anybody hot? We're seated on nice, comfortable. These aren't niches carved, carved out of lumpy, sharp-edged limestone. These are beautiful, cushioned pews. And we arrived in our nice, new cars. And we have all of these uh, uh, conveniences that make it so easy. But are we banded together? Are we in close fellowship? Are we uh, living out what Christ said the church is, is to love one another and to be actively caring for one another? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to remind us because over the past year, <laughs> the circumstances of life have kind of caused us to scatter in certain ways, right? Uh, we, we weren't even allowed to gather uh, as we normally would, and we're just getting back to our different groups. And in, in September, we're launching more groups. And what I want you to see is the value of it. This is what sustains us as followers of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's not just, um, you know, they didn't meet just on Sundays. They met daily and house to house. And we have groups that meet different days of the week. We have a, right now, uh, one of our largest groups, the one I mentioned, their new name is Heaven Bound. They meet on Thursdays out in the student center. And we have a group that meets on Tuesdays and groups can meet at different days. That, that is like secondary to the important part of loving each other and caring for one another and encouraging one another spiritually. And um, it says that they shared meals together. They ate together. Now, what were they eating? I don't know. It's kind of secondary, isn't it? I mean, how in the world did they have fellowship in the first century without donuts and coffee? I don't think it was. I don't, how did they do that? It's like without coffee? Come on, Pastor Phil. Yeah, it's a joke, right? They they had their own version. You know, I've 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 been in many homes, any many home gatherings in Guatemala. You know, and you're you're seated on a, a stool. They don't even have enough chairs in the house for. 12 or 15 people to seat on, sit on. You're on a, a rough concrete floor in their living room, and you're seated on stools and benches, and, and you're holding in a, in a dirty plastic cup uh, a weak, horrible cup of coffee, weak coffee. You know, they've watered it. They just pour more water in. <laughs> and a little cookie that, uh, Galleta Maria, that has zero flavor in it. But you can buy them for about 39 cents, a whole sleeve of them, Right? But you know what you felt there? You felt love and you felt fellowship and they prayed for you and they, they asked about your sick family member or whatever it was. It's all of those things, yes, they're a part of it. There is something special about sharing a meal with someone, but certainly that is secondary. 
That is secondary. There was uh, one uh, gentleman that I remember uh, very well, uh, Danielle Sutuk. Danielle was, um, had an indigenous background. His last name, Sutuk, uh, was an indigenous name. And, and Danielle was in our Bible school. And, and, you know, he was a very earnest student. He was uh, married with uh, three younger teenage children, but he just hungered to learn God's word. And I said one day, I was talking to Danielle, and I offered him an opportunity. Danielle, would you like to do a discipleship with me? And he was like all over. He said, yeah, absolutely. And so, so I began going to his house once a week. Now, when I say his house, okay, it was a rough concrete floor, uh, tin walls on the exterior, had a tin roof with, with just rough beams. And his house was probably about from here to that wall. It was probably about as wide as probably from here to that wall. This was his house. And when you walk in the door, uh, it, was a, it was a sidewalk, rough concrete sidewalk with three, three bedrooms, one for the girls, one for the guys, and one for him and his wife. And somewhere in there, there was a little tiny bathroom about the size of a phone booth. And then you, you'd walk all the way down that, that rough hallway, you know, maybe some cinder blocks, a lot of tin uh, siding. And you'd get down to the end of the house, and there was a space open about the size of this enclave. That was their kitchen, dining room, and living room. And there was a, a little five-foot fridge right here, a little one one portion sink about this big. There was a little bit of counter spot, stop, uh, countertop and a little stove about this big. And right next to that was a little kitchen table with two or three chairs around it. And on top of that was a 19-inch color TV. That was their kitchen, their, their dining room, and their living room. And I can remember more than once sitting in that living room watching the NBA Finals on that TV with Danielle and his one son who was a basketball fanatic and we were you couldn't even see the picture it was like who's got the ball I have no idea (laughs) we were watching it though but more importantly once a week I would come there in the evenings and we would sit down at that table we would open up God's word together with Danielle and we would go through the scriptures together we would have fellowship and we would have discipleship and Danielle never finished grade school Danielle was a custodian. He was a janitor at a branch bank. Danielle probably made $800 a month and lived in a cosmopolitan city trying to provide for his children to all go to school. And Danielle, with all of those limitations, I mean, we weren't in catacombs, but we weren't in any place like this either. With all those limitations, Danielle... He was my disciple, but Danielle quickly became a much greater discipler than I ever was. As he would, in that same home, that same rough, concrete, unfinished floor, as he would bring person after person into his house. And for months at a time, one One evening a week, he would have someone coming in his house, and sometimes he and his wife would sit down with a lady, or sometimes it would be a young person from church, or sometimes it would be a friend from work, and he would just disciple people, person after person after person. And here we are. We we drove in a nice, fancy car to church, but there was no one else in it. 
We didn't bring anyone with us. And we sit in a nice air-conditioned auditorium. And, we, and someone said it today. I don't remember who it was. We go to church. But you're not supposed to go to church. You're not supposed to. Church isn't something that you go to. Church is something that you are a part of. We are the church. And so we are to live in close community with a group of fellow believers so that we can encourage one another. We can love one another. You know, and um, they discovered the very first church building, the oldest one they found so far, it was built in AD 2030. It's in northern Jordan, and it's below ground. But wait a minute. Right here in America, on July 4th, 2021, there are, the statistics say that there are, there are 300,000 churches in America today. 300. Now, obviously, I don't know all of those churches or, or if, if they all are Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, but you get the idea. There are multiplied thousands of churches around the world they tell us that there are 37 million churches. And in many parts of the world, they, they are meeting in 10 buildings. And they are meeting in homes. And they are meeting out under trees. Because you don't have to have all of the trappings in order to have fellowship. You don't have to have all of the trappings. And, and if God's blessed us with this, let's use it for his honor and his glory. That's not my point. My point is we, no matter who we are, no matter what, uh, what age we're in, no matter what country we're, or culture we're in, it's the same. We are to live in the apostles' doctrine, and we are to live in fellowship. And over the past 12 months, it has been exceedingly difficult to live in fellowship, in close community with a group of believers. And I'm just encouraging all of us as a church, we have got to get back to that because it is not an optional thing. It is a valuable and necessary thing that will benefit all of our lives if we will do that. Now, I want to... I want to close by just reading um, a poem, and maybe you're familiar with this. It was written by a, a British poet, John Donne. And I'm sure some of these words will ring familiar to many of you. And, and it really summarizes, uh, he's talking about humanity, but I apply it to the church community. When he said, no man is an island alone and to himself. Every man, every person, is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a single clod of Europe be washed away by the sea, I am the lesser. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for you. And you see, we're a part of a church. And we're not an island to ourselves. We are a part of a church family. And if, and if any piece of this family drifts away, I'm the lesser. And it should grieve us. It should hurt us. And, and, and we are involved in this church family. And therefore... Don't say, well, well, someone should call them. 
or um, someone should check on that, or someone should go do something. Don't, say, don't ask for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for you and for me. It takes all of us with the same commitment. What does the Bible say? They were steadfastly devoted to fellowship. They were given over to fellowship and, of course, to God's Word as well. Let's bow together for prayer. Just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I think there are many, if not most all of us, could give testimony of how at some point in our journey, our faith walk, that Christians and a close brother has been a blessing to us, has been an encouragement to us. I'm just saying we all need to experience that much more often than perhaps we do. So we have to draw close. We have to, we have to get in a room together. It doesn't have to be underground, but we need to be together. And, it, and really, on that day when all of that first began, back there in Acts 2, Peter stood up and he preached Christ, that Jesus Christ was crucified and he was buried and he rose again. And the Bible says they believed. They believed. That's the very first step, isn't it? And perhaps you're here today and you've never believed upon Jesus Christ. My friend, he loves you. He died for you. He shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And he invites you to receive him and to become a part of his family, the family of God. If you've never done that, my friend, it's the most important decision that you could ever make. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. I invite you. I encourage you. We would love to sit down with the Word of God and share with you how you can make Christ your Savior, your very own personal Savior, and receive the gift of eternal life. We would love to share that with you. And I'm talking to many, many more that you have done that. You are a part of the family of God. I'm just here today encouraging you and me and all of us to get back to being that active member of a close community as the family of God. It's so meaningful. It's so important. It's so necessary. I encourage you today. Father God, we pray that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would, that you would renew within us that commitment, that devotion to being a part of a close group of followers of Jesus Christ. We pray for this and we ask it in Jesus' name.